Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to another episode of The Stacks. I am your host, Tracy Thomas, and today our guest is journalist and author Vanessa McGrady, whose brand new book, Rock Needs River, a memoir about a very open adoption, was released just this month. If you've listened and loved The Stacks, you can get more from the show by joining The Stacks Pack and receiving inside access and perks like the virtual book club and a lot more. If you go to patreon.com slash The Stacks, you can contribute as little as a dollar a month and rest easy knowing your money is going to support an independent podcast you love. So check out The Stacks Pack at patreon.com slash The Stacks. If you prefer supporting the show with one-time contributions, go to paypal.me slash The Stacks Pod. To stay up to date on The Stacks, make sure you're following us on our social media and going to our website, thestackspodcast.com. Links to all of our social media accounts are in the show notes. You'll also find links to everything Vanessa and I talk about on today's show. If you shop through those links, The Stacks will earn a small commission and it comes at no extra cost to you. So it's a total win-win. Now is a great time to rate and review this podcast. These reviews help us climb the charts and they break through the algorithms to get us to new listeners. So if you haven't yet, I would so appreciate if you would take a few moments to write us a review right now. Our most recent review comes from horses for m 1292 And here's what they say. So thankful to have found Tracy and the Stacks. This podcast has already introduced me to amazing literature and given me the tools to think through complex issues and questions. Plus, Tracy is funny and so honest. I feel like I finally found the perfect corner of the podcast world and I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much, Horses for M1292. And thank you to the rest of you who have written us reviews. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and do it right now. In the interest of full transparency, I just want to touch on one quick thing. Today's episode is a lot about adoption, and you're going to hear me use incorrect terminology. I refer to adoptive parents as opposed to parents, and I refer to parents instead of calling them birth or biological parents. So I just wanted to clear that up now. I've learned since the recording, but I didn't want to change the mistakes that I'd made. I just wanted to give it a quick acknowledgement now. Okay, let's dive into the episode with our guest, Vanessa McGrady. All right. I am here today with Vanessa McGrady, who is the author of a brand new book called Rock Needs River, which is her memoir of a very open adoption. Vanessa is an award-winning journalist and communications strategist. Vanessa, welcome to the Stacks. 
Thank you. It's so thrilling to be here, Tracy. I'm so excited that you're here. So I just gave you kind of like a professional intro, but I always like to ask people to give us maybe like, just tell us about yourself a little bit. I'm a mom, first and foremost. I'm a writer. I'm a daughter. I live in Glendale, California. What else would you like to know? Well, tell me a little bit about what a communication strategist does. Uh, so some of us in the journalism world have had to make the shift to work that earns more money. Got it. <laughs> so so I do help brands and I help companies with their content and with editing. And a lot of it I have found is really the exact same thing that I would write for Forbes or for a magazine or something else, only it's for a bank or you know for a spa or something. So um, it's the same quality work, but just for multiple like internal time, multiple times the money. Got it. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> exactly. I was on your website and you've written so many articles. You're like you're constantly publishing. I mean, you have like Vanessa's website is vanessamagrady.com, which we'll link to in the show notes. But I was it's like financial and then it's beauty and then it's travel. And it's like so amazing. Because I don't often think of journalists as being able to write such a variety of things. Well, that's the great thing about being a journalist yeah. is that if you're curious about something or if you're um, interested in something or if you're really mad about something, <laughs> you can write about it. What's it's the serious. last thing you were really mad about that you wrote about? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, there, well, there's a couple things I'm thinking of, but I'll say the one that was really upsetting to me, all of a sudden I was noticing when my daughter was younger that people were sexist in little tiny ways that I called Ooh. micro bullshit. Sure. So in way, you know, the karate teacher would tell the girls to smile, but then he would tell the boys, you Ooh. know, like, oh, you're getting so strong and things like that during their award ceremony. Totally. Or, you know, when Payless was um, selling selling shoes, they would advertise boys' shoes for adventuring and girls' shoes for being a princess. And so things like that. So I wrote about that for Jezebel. Oh, my gosh. That's um, awesome. And uh, another one was I went to this big conference and several men who were speakers at the conference would make this joke about how their wife spends all their money and Ugh. it was so infuriating to hear and then I couldn't figure out like well exactly why is this bothering me so I really had to dig deep into right. how sexist that was and how ridiculous that was and then of course and I wrote about this for uh, Forbes.com when I was a columnist there but um, but people were really upset that I was upset about this because it just really was a hot button for a lot of men. Sure. Um, and saying, oh, it's just a joke. But I mean, anything can be just a joke. Sure. A racial slur is just a joke. Right. You know, those kind of things. It's right. just, I mean, so all of that I feel is kind of goes under the category of micro bullshit. So that's basically what's getting me right, right now. now. <laughs> so I it's write about interesting that. that you said that after having your daughter, that that's what you noticed that like your whole life as a woman, it didn't, it didn't, you didn't notice it as much or just that like, because it was children and like marketed towards children, that's what kind of picked up your attention. You know, I think I got clearer got it. on it. I, I did notice it. Like there were things, there's a story in the book actually that I, you know, worked on this great presentation and I was, you know, working and I was showing it to a bunch of men and it was, you know, everyone was really happy with it. And then one of them just made this little joke about now you can go back to the kitchen. Oh, that's right. And, you know, and that's such a little thing. And I laughed along with it. Right. 
but it's really but we painful, all do you know? that. It's such an interesting thing. I mean, I, and we don't. I shouldn't say we all do that, but I myself have done it, and I've seen other people do it. And sometimes in the moment, it takes you so off guard that you kind of giggle because you're like, "Is this guy kidding?" Or like, "What?" But and then afterwards, you feel bad about yourself for having encouraged or or not said, "Hey, fuck you, guy." Like right. I just did this amazing presentation, and it's such an interesting. I don't know where that comes from, but I'm curious about it. And I think like as a black woman, I've experienced it both racially and for being a woman. And I mean, my mother is Jewish. And so a lot of people think that it's funny that I'm black and Jewish. And so like people will make like little jokes about that too. And I, I've laughed at it myself, but you know, I, I think maybe some of it comes from not wanting to make a bigger deal out of it, like wanting to minimize it because you feel like embarrassed or something. I yeah, don't know. I mean, I think it's part of a subset of fight, flight, freeze, or laugh. Right. You know, like you want to diffuse a situation right. that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and we're taught to be pleasers. We're not automatically taught as children to say, fuck you, that right. was wrong. <laughs> right. So, no, it's true. I, I love you saying that also people were mad at you for being mad or like for being offended. That's because I feel like that right now in the culture, like especially in politics is so big. Like someone will do something wrong and someone will say that was bad. And then other people will say, how dare you point that out? Or like, how dare you call that person a racist? Or how dare you say that sexist? Even though someone made a comment about women getting back in the kitchen, like that's objectively sexist. Exactly. Ugh. <laughs> now my mind I know, I know. Is let's like, go take a shower. Like, let's go talk about Ew, sexism yeah. and racism <laughs> yeah. and microaggressions or micro bullshit. So you have a book, it comes out, or I guess when this airs, it'll be out. Um, it's called Rock Needs River. And it's the story of how you came to adopt your daughter, Grace. And then it goes into what happened once you had your daughter, Grace. It's so readable. I read it in about a day and a half. It's one of those books where it's just like, I felt like I knew you because you're just kind of talking to your audience, which is really, it's kind of refreshing. I, I really appreciated just how open and there wasn't a lot of pretense around your book. And it felt like there were things that you said that I maybe didn't agree with, but I was like, that's just her point of view, you know? And like, it felt very comfortable, like a conversation between author and reader, which I really, really appreciated. So congratulations on your book. Thank you. I, the opening of the book, you have like a little letter to your daughter, Grace, where you talk about wanting the book to be something that she can see and read and understand her story better. And I was curious, at what age do you think that she would possibly read the book? Well, you know, I have read her that letter. Mm -hmm. Right now, she's super excited about the book. She, okay. she is giving one to her teacher today. Oh. And she's you and know, she's on the cover. She's on the cover. <laughs> That's an Instagram photo. I was wondering. Um and she's, uh, you know, I think, you know, right now we're still working on Elephant and Piggy books. Sure. So, right. Because um, she's, she's seven. seven. She's seven now. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I think probably, you know, sh I think kids uh, understand things at their age appropriate level. Right. So if she reads it at 12, she might understand it in a different way than if she reads it at 25. Sure. And then, it, then if she reads it at 50, she right. might. That's true for all of us yeah, that we exactly. understand it at our age appropriate level. Um, I just was curious about that because I thought I knew that she was young now. And I was like, I wonder in Vanessa's mind when she thinks that she'll read it. But she'll probably read it a few times would be my guess. You know, it's funny. My dad was an author, too, and he wrote books. And I don't ever re 
remember reading them all the way through. I would Ooh. sit down with a book and I would read parts of it. So I've probably read the Pritikin program for diet and exercise, <laughs> you know, <laughs> 10 times over, but I've never read it actually all the way, all through. The way through. I just would read Sections. chunks of it. So I don't know if she's going to do the same thing or not. Cause it's also like, Oh, you know, my mom wrote a book, whatever. Right. So, There's a little bit of like, yeah. my mom's so not cool. <laughs> <laughs> Getting there. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that comes later. I mean, that came later for me, like 12. Then I was like, ugh, mom. During your book, or in your book, you have this great line. Um, I don't want to spoil too much of your book, but I do kind of want to give a little bit of info for people. Um, it starts kind of with you becoming an adult. Like you kind of jump in maybe like in your early 20s and you're having like great escapades and living in cabins and like being an adventurer, which I totally love because that's not me. And I was like, oh, I wish I did that kind of stuff. And then... You got pregnant and you have a series, you have a few miscarriages, correct? Yes, I had three. Three. And after the first one, you have this great line where you say, during a crisis, there's always good surprises and bad surprises. And I just, I don't, I just love that. I just thought that was so, it's so right on. Like, even in the worst times, there are things that you are like, oh, that person showed up in a different way than I expected. Or, oh, I learned this about myself that I can take with me. And then there's also obviously things where you're like, that was really shitty and my life is ruined, you know? So I, I liked you pointing, um, pointing that out. I do want to talk a little bit about miscarriages because I feel like people don't or are uncomfortable or shy or feel embarrassed about it. But that process of having those miscarriages, did you ever feel like did it was it an isolating experience for you? It really was because this was also I mean it wasn't that long ago mm -hmm. um and the you know the second and third ones were in I, like in the 2000s early mm -hmm. 2000s and um I think now with so much social media and Twitter people are tweeting their miscarriages sure. and so you know in that way you kind of have that community and you're not so alone but back then I mean you would have a miscarriage and there's no way that you wouldn't know that 10 other people sitting at the table had had didn't them. just have a miscarriage mm -hmm. and so but what you do notice are pregnant women and babies mm. and people you know, asking people you when are you gonna have a baby exactly or just you know still thinking you're pregnant I remember my I had miscarried the first time at 12 weeks so I had a lot of time to tell people because I'm obviously not a secret keeper okay. and, <laughs> and um and so uh you know I remember my uncle Seamus came up to me like with a big bear hug and hey mama how's Ooh. that baby doing you know and stuff like that and I was just like nope no nope and so and then you know you had to you know tell you know eventually you have to tell people because they're going to ask and then they feel bad and right. you know just nobody nobody feels good about that so yeah but yes it felt very isolating and it also you know you have this feeling of um of like okay well somebody can do something about this like we can do we can fix this you know sure. I feel like you know we can fix anything you know if you try hard enough if you right. know the right medicine if you can do the right you know doctor thing you can right. fix this and you know with a miscarriage you really can't right right I mean it's the body's way of you know it's unfortunate it's my husband is an OBGYN so we actually I feel lucky because a lot of people that I know who have been through similar experiences, they come to us. And so I feel like it's an, I feel like I've, I've been gifted this opportunity to be someone who can say like, I know I understand, I'm sorry this happened. And you know, 
this is this is part of it. And my husband does it in a medical way, which is probably more reassuring. But I feel that I've been let into like kind of a secret society in that way. And I feel like it shouldn't have to be that way. Like, you know, I, I think it can be so isolating for women and men to who also, I think, sometimes feel like really left out of the whole process, you know? Yeah, you know, I just did a story on miscarriages for UCLA for the oh. health magazine at, at um, UCLA. And one thing that I learned, I talked to a lot of people, a lot of doctors, and I found out a lot about the cell. Like there's almost stuff that happens on the cellular level that mm-hmm. has to go exactly right before right. a, you know, an a embryo can keep growing. And um, but then also the men, you know, men don't really bond with a child until it's born. I mean, it's sort of mm-hmm. like a concept. Right. And of course, but they also have their own kinds of disappointment right. and their own. Exactly. It's not a physical trauma it's a different kind of trauma and I think that's often left out of the conversation and then also people sometimes feel relieved when they have a miscarriage and that needs to be part of the conversation too not all pregnancies are wanted right and you know both people don't always want the pregnancy and that has to be and sometimes people feel guilty for feeling relieved and you know that's that's a part of the big conversation too yeah it's unfortunate that people have to go through miscarriages for any reason because for the women it is a physical trauma but I'm, I'm glad that you're open to talking about it and you talk about it in your book so openly I think it's really powerful okay now after you have your miscarriages you decide that you're gonna want that you want to adopt and then you go through a really long process can you tell us just a little bit about kind of what that process is like for people who are thinking like oh I might want to adopt like what that really means. Sure. Well, it's different for the kind of adoption you do. Okay. The kind of adoption that I chose was a domestic adoption through a nonprofit agency. So that might be different than someone who adopts internationally or okay. someone who does a foster adopt situation um, in which they foster a child first until it's legally emancipated and then and then the child can be oh, adopted. Okay. Um, so for, for us, so I started I was um dating Peter and we were kind of on and off and I just decided you know I feel like if I'm going to be a mom I should do it start doing it sooner rather Mm -hmm. than later so I started the process um I went through an agency called the Kinship Center in Orange County and you have to do a lot of classes you have to do a lot of paperwork a lot of background checks obviously um you really they you know I think part of it is they they make you go through so much rigorous training and it's not just training to be a parent, but it's training about adoption specifically because there's a lot of loss associated with adoption. There's obviously the loss for the child of its original parents, but also for the birth parents um, of the child. And then also even for the adoptive parents, there's the loss of being able to, or, Mm -hmm. you know, not having your, not, not every parent who adopts, is infertile right but um you know but there's also you know the loss of not nursing or the loss you know of just maybe not having a child of your own biology if that right. is if was important, is important to, you. to you yeah so you really have to just get you know super well versed in in all the flavors of loss mm. and um but also i think they just weed out people who you know think that they you know on a lark they you know why don't i adopt right. a child so it's really a commitment to the training and to the paperwork and to the thought that goes into it and to just really, you know, shoring up your heart and shoring up your, you know, your mind and your, also your logistics. Like where are you going to put a child? Can you afford a child? So they come into your home and all that. 
They do. Yeah. It's yeah. so interesting. I wish that I wish that there was that for people who are trying to have children just, you know, biologically. Like there's no there's no background check if you get pregnant. Nobody comes into your house and says, "What are you going to do with this kid? Like, do you know how to be a parent?" But when you adopt, they're like we're going to get really rigorous. They should, they should do that for people who. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's so funny. Um, when you, when you're in that process of adopting and waiting and, you know, for some people it takes a long time and it's really frustrating and you, you know, you don't get picked and you're like that weird cereal flavor on the shelf right. that nobody wants. And, right. and, um, and then like you see people complain about their kids and you're like, I, w- you're you know, like, I hate you. I, would, I wish I would, I would love do to anything. complain about, you know, yeah. like my child's boogers or, right. you know, whatever they're complaining about. Right. So. But once yeah. once you were once you got to be Grace's mother, then you complained about her boogers, right? Or you know, no? <laughs> I, I I mean, there's things I complain about for sure. sure but you know, but you I, are cognizant I'm of that. Very, you know, I will. I do say a a prayer of gratitude every single day, mm. if not multiple times a day, if not every space in between, every second for Grace, because right. I'm so grateful to right. be her mom. Yeah, I think you get a different perspective going through the process because you. Kind of, you were in the process before before Grace came into your life for two years. Yeah. So that so the whole thing it was like being pregnant for two years, <laughs> but also like being pregnant for four days because that's right. how much time we had between meeting Bridget and when Grace was born. Wow. So I won't give too much more of the story. Obviously, we know that you adopt Grace, and then there it's an open adoption. For those of you who don't know, that means that the birth parents and the adoptive parents and the child when the adoptive parents are ready, know and can communicate with one another. Um, So as opposed to a closed adoption where there's no information exchange between the three parties. So this book, I guess the little spoiler I'll give away is that at some point in the book, uh, Grace's parents come to be very much a part of your life. I'll put it that way. Right. Her birth parents. Her birth parents. Yeah. Her her birth parents um, became homeless and they moved in for a little while. Yeah. So the book kind of goes on this journey where it starts with you and then it kind of you have all these new people in your life by the time we get to to the end of the book. If you were going to give any advice to people who were thinking about adoption or who were in the process, is there anything that you would say? I would just say have faith, be strong, have a support network. Mm get rid of people who are haters in your life mm. or, or, you know, or, or people, you know, like just draw your boundaries because people will say terrible things or, you know, they might not support your choice, but I will say, you know, get your, get your support ready. That's awesome. And then the last thing I'll ask you about this and then we'll dive into your books is kind of a transition. What are some of your favorite books on adoption? Um, well, I did, well, the book we're going to talk about today, I oh, yeah. won't, I won't. Yeah. We're going to talk about <laughs> All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung for the Sex Book Club. So we'll, we'll save that, but any other ones? Yeah. Um, I loved Born With Teeth by mm-hmm. Kate Mulgrew. That is a memoir, but it's, it's a lot about her becoming a big star, mm. but it's also about her placing a child for adoption and how that affected her life and that affected her, her mind and you know, it's just it's it's one act that is just will inform the rest of her life. I loved um, God and Jetfire by Amy Seek. It's another woman who plays a child for adoption, and what a difficult um, what a difficult decision that was for her, um, and how wrenching it was. But ultimately, she felt like it was the best for her child. Um, and I think those those two books, from a birth parent perspective, are really important hugely important actually because birth parents do not get a good rap 
Um, yeah. Especially in, you know, like people can, you know, there's a lot of platitudes around it. Like it's the most loving thing you can do for a child mm-hmm. or it's, you know, the greatest act of love. But in real life, the birth parents that I have talked to have been shunned. They've been insulted. They've, you know, people think they're monsters for being able to give right. up a child. And that's actually not the case. There's a lot that goes into that decision. Um, and it is, and I mean, it's really a, a loving <laughs> decision right. that you, that that you have to do. So I think those books are hugely important to have that transparency yeah. into what, what goes into that. Um, there's a classic book, Dan Savage's The Kid, mm. when he and his uh, husband, I guess they, they weren't, couldn't get married back then, but his right. partner adopted a, uh, a baby um, from a homeless girl in Oregon. Um, and then <laughs> my favorite, one of my very, very favorites, and I didn't realize this is about adoption, but but also one thing I talk about is almost every epic story is an adoption story. I know. I want to talk is, about that with you. Um, is corduroy. It's the story oh. of a of a little bear who sure. gets, you know, who's forgotten and gets adopted. And I cry every time I read <laughs> that. What are some other um, adoption stories like in the culture? You mentioned some in your book, but I, I thought I found it fascinating. Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Dorothy's an orphan where right. she's living with her aunt, you know, and, aunt uncle. and uncle yeah. for some unknown known reason. Star Wars, mm. almost everybody in the Bible, mm-hmm. um, uh, Mad Max, um, This Is Us. Right. I mean, all of these stories, if you really think about, I mean, just start looking at stories, Superman. Right. I mean, <laughs> like, like the Disney stories, I guess those aren't always adoption. They're usually dead mom. A lot of dead mom a and a lot of stepmother, mom. Type, stepmother. Yeah. type things. Yeah. But that's also about finding new family. Right. And I was going to say, a lot it's, it's, a con- prince, it's but. connected in that mythology of like not knowing your roots or not having like that there's like a self-discovery because that's kind of what all those stories have in common is that this person is not rooted in family and they have to go out and well, look overcome. at frozen i mean sure. their, their i've never are, seen frozen oh, well this fr- so in frozen there's two princess sisters right. and their parents are killed immediately and right. like right into the story so i mean if you look at we're obsessed with it whether it's right. conscious or not we are obsessed with origin stories yeah that's so interesting okay well we'll dive in now to all your other books that aren't about adoption and we're gonna talk so much about adoption next week that I'm kind of like holding back today because I <laughs> could ask you a million questions about this but we have so much to talk about next week that I'll save it taking care of your health isn't always easy but it should be at least simple that's why for the last Three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. 
If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot Grab your copy of the Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Um, so let's start with two books you love and one book you hate. Okay. Uh, the two books that I love, I've always just carried a torch for Poisonwood Bible. Okay. I just, it was just so, there, I just loved everything about that book. I, I, I don't even have a copy of it because I keep giving it away. Giving it away. Yeah. <laughs> and then my friend Jeff Sweat wrote a book called Mayfly, mm-hmm. which was this, uh, it's like a, dystopian future Los Angeles about these teenagers you Ooh. nobody the premise is that nobody lives past like 15 16 17 oh and so they have to sort of figure out society and figure out how to how to do that on their own whoa um it's really fascinating it's super compelling so that I love that book as well that sounds great a book I hate I can't say I hate it because I couldn't finish it okay or it but okay. um you know, I've tried several times over the years to pick up love in the time of cholera, and I just always, I'm not sure if I'm like in the, not in the right mood for it yeah. or just doesn't connect with I you. Just, and I'll try again at some point, right. I'm sure, but I just. That's how I feel about I a, hun- a thousand, hundred thousand years of solitude. I picked it up maybe five times, and I don't think I've gotten past page 20. I just can't do it. Yeah, there's certain. I just doesn't, I don't know. I, and I know people love it. Not for me. What's the last great book you read? Um, there's a couple. So um, one is called Priest Daddy. Mm. It's a it's a memoir, and I just felt like she's just so like wildly poetic, and the story is so, you know, for a for a memoir, I think to be interesting, you do have to have these like kind of crazy characters. Totally. In it. And so you know her like so it's about her family, and then her dad is a priest. Her dad is a priest, and then but like the family is like super dysfunctional and she's yeah it's yeah it's amazing and just like the sheer poetry of the book Mm. is so good um just the language it's written in I loved I loved it and then like there's sort of like a shocking thing that happens Mm. and I'm not gonna ruin it but don't ruin it but um yeah so that book was was really stuck with me and then another um I don't know uh, Girl Boner by August McLaughlin like so I'm 
I met August when I was doing my recording of my book. Okay. And so you read your audiobook? Yeah, I read, oh, awesome. I read my audiobook. And so and she gave me a copy and I really liked her. She's like so cool and so pretty and so smart. And you know, I'm like, I could never be friends with her. <laughs> you know, and of course, like, you know, and and she um but she gave me a copy of her book and I started reading it. And she does such a good job. It's about sexual empowerment, but mm. she also weaves through her story mm. in it. So it's very personal, but it's also like really informative and really you know, there's like a diagram of like the female genitalia and, you know, nice. like it's there's like she's it talks just it's so inclusive and it's so um, it's such a smart book. So I like that book, too. That's another recent one that I read. Yeah. Amazing. And what are you reading right now? Um, I'm reading Between the World and Me. Ugh. And it's um, I'm not reading it quickly. I have to say, like, I feel like I have to sort of digest mm -hmm. everything. I'm mm -hmm. at the part where he's at Howard University mm, right now. I love when he describes the quad. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And I just had to kind of read that a couple times over because yeah. it's so, I mean, again, it's like a poem, you know, mm -hmm. it's like a song. It's, I mean, it's just, um, it's such a and it's book. a, I mean, it's really rich. It's hard. You mm -hmm. know, I'm a middle-class white girl mm -hmm. and it's really important for people, everybody to read this book, yeah. but it's, you know, it's, a, uh, it's really rich and yeah. it's really beautiful and it's, you know, I would like to read it slowly. I yeah. don't, it's not a book that I want to graze through. No, that makes sense. We did it. We did an episode on the show on that book. It was one of our book club books. So I reread it for the, for the book and I, I don't even, I feel like I don't even remember reading it the first time because reading it the second time felt so different. So it's one of those books you could definitely revisit. And he reads the audiobook. So if you oh. do revisit it, I haven't listened to it, but I've heard he's really great. And if you've ever heard his voice, it's his voice is amazing. I just love the way he talks. He kind of has like his New York accent kind of thing. I don't know. He's great. Um, and if you are interested in more books like that, I do have a recommendation. Have you heard of the book Heavy that came out last year? No. His name's Kiese Lehman, and he's also a journalist, and he it's his memoir, and it's kind of, I think it's a good companion piece for Between the World and Me because it's his it's his memoir and it's very it's a very personal story of his experience of being a black man in America, whereas Ta-Nehisi Coates' book is a little more um, big picture, but they're talking about the same thing. So you kind of see it from a more vulnerable, personal, and then Coates comes in from a more like structural, I don't know how to, I don't know. They're, they're two sides of the same coin, but they're really different and both beautifully written. And I think the two of them are two of our greatest black current, um, critics of culture I guess that's what you would call them I don't know but so that's my recommendation for thank you thank you thank you I will if you're, it's also absolutely a, read take that. your time it's it's as the title suggests very heavy um can you read multiple books at once or are you a one one book pony as I, I like to say I can but it usually means that one of them will be left by the wayside mm -hmm. it's really it's I prefer to read just one yeah. at a time, but yeah. sometimes I, yeah, sometimes, sometimes I do. you get stuck. And then with also, <laughs> right, so right now I have Hunger and my audio. Mm, the Roxanne, by Gay. Roxanne Gay. So she, like, like unfortunately, like, I haven't been on a long, long enough trip mm. in the last couple weeks. <laughs> so, yeah. like, so, but I do, like, I'll listen to one and then I'll read another yeah. one. I yeah. I listened to that also. It was a tough listen because I, I feel like I wanted to slow her down because I was having to process so much and with audio you can't really stop it like you just she just kept going and I was like oh my god I can't I have to go back and listen because I zoned out because it was too much to handle but talk about 
really vulnerable memoir. My God. Uh, what are your what are some books that you're excited to start reading or are on your list? Of course, becoming mm, me too. Um, it's on my list. Have, have you not read it yet? No, oh, I that surprises me. I, I know, you'd, like, be right all over that. Everybody, I have it, but then I've, everybody told me to do it on audio, so I'm waiting to, for having a trip. Oh, okay, I don't know. I, it's a weird thing. Everyone else is reading it, so I'm kind of like, eh, it's good. I'll get to it, which is so weird. I don't know. But I, it is on my list too. <laughs> okay, and um, you know, I Tara, um, Tara West is it Westover? Yeah, educated. educated. I just, you know, it's funny because I had ordered it. So, all right, true confession, I mm-hmm. do look on Amazon to see where I am in the thing, and so oh yes, yes, yeah, yes, of the rankings. Yeah, and so under biography last week, and I don't know if this is true this week because I actually haven't looked this week. But last week I was in front of. Michelle Obama and I was in front of Tara so I was like oh I should just I should just you know order yeah. those books yeah. <laughs> to see oh, yeah. like <laughs> to see like well, whose company I'm in and um and so I had ordered it and then I heard her on the radio and I kind of came mm. in the middle and I'm like oh I bet this is her you know yeah. and so it was like such a great interview and it was oh just gosh. it was NPR I think and and um I'm just really excited to read that book. I've heard people love it are you big on memoir do you like I memoir? do like well you know I feel like I had to really like once I was in you know one of the many 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 drafts of Rock Needs River, I um I felt like I really need to start studying memoir more. Mm-hmm. Like there's memoirs that I love, like I love the memoir of like Lucille Ball, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and things like that. But and like things that I had read, but I really felt like I needed to become a student of, of the memoir. memoir yeah. And so that's really kind of been my world in the last year or so. And now that your your book is out in the world, are you still like finding that you enjoy memoir? I feel like I still have to study. I don't know. Even though, yeah, Yeah. it's done, but I'm still like, I don't know. I'm still, I still feel like I'm studying. Yeah. I love a good, like dark memoir. I don't love like a, I'm a comedian. Like (laughs) I had a hard time in Hollywood. I like terrible things happened or like this is glass castle (laughs) i never read glass castle but everybody tells me i should but if you like like that yeah terrible things happening i do i like terrible things happening (laughs) just in general but yes in memoir also well how do you pick your next book if you're not studying memoir like in just in general people i know yeah so like it turns out i know a lot of writers and um (laughs) well you are a writer so that makes sense yeah so um you know whether it's like a cookbook or um, you know, a memoir or a novel. Um, my friend Mary Adkins just wrote one called um, When You Read This, mm-hmm. and that's coming out around the same time, I think. So I'm excited to read that. So right now I'm just trying to, like, get through the people's books that I know. Mm. Um, and then plus, you know, the other ones that we mentioned. What's a really good book that someone has recommended to you? Well, it's hilariously, I um, I recommend, well, so someone once recommended He's Just Not That Into You, mm. and it's the book I probably recommend the most <laughs> <laughs> to other people. So That's amazing. Yeah. It just resonated with you. Well, it, you know, the great thing about that book, it's an older book, yeah. and, and for people who don't know what it is, it basically explains, like, the mind of a, I'm sort of a perpetual like I'm a monogamist, but mm-hmm. I can't seem to like make things like things just don't haven't really worked out for me <laughs> in that way. And um, and it, it there was a time where like I would just keep dating and like getting ghosted or getting, mm. you know, and and so it really helped me understood like, well, first, who are you picking? Right. And, you know, are they truly available? And then second, you know, if someone's not calling like I think women read into mm-hmm. into you know messages like it's tea leaves like oh well if he said let's talk later 
did he really mean right. let's talk later right. you know or right. those things but it was basically like if he doesn't track you down he's not into you right which was really helpful it's right. like a very clear directive and so like whenever somebody is like wondering about a relationship I just send them that book and that book was I, I remember that book and that book was kind of like changed the way that we talk about dating now like I when that book came out I felt like he's just not that into was really revolutionary and now I feel like that's the kind of advice that women give each other all the time like oh well did he call you okay then he doesn't he's not into it like move on and I feel like you know, 15 years ago, or I guess more than that, probably now, probably came out in the probably 90s, about, yeah, probably like yeah. 20, early 25 20, years early, ago, early 2000s, I think. Oh, yeah, I feel older all of a sudden, but that it used to be like, yeah, oh, well, maybe you need to call him again and like, don't call after three days and blah, blah, blah. And now it's just like, oh, he's not getting back to you. Like you can move on. Right. So it that kind was of a, shifted. Yeah, it was like around the same time as the rules came out mm, and, mm-hmm. um, and the rules like that just felt like very like anti-feminist mm-hmm. and archaic and you're supposed to play a certain amount of games mm-hmm. and. And, um, but in a way, like, it's kind of the same idea. Like if someone's into you, they'll find you. Yes. And it uh, makes so much sense when you say it like that, but it does sometimes feel like when your emotions are involved, like, oh, I don't, like, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> He's working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it has definitely changed the dating, like the way that we as women, I think specifically talk about dating just in the culture. And right. we as straight women, like, I feel like right. it's probably like a whole different playing field sure. for, you know, like point. women of other sexuality and That's men of other point. sexuality yeah. as well, you know. Yeah. But I think some of it holds true. Like, if whoever it is isn't calling you or, like, yeah. doesn't want you to meet their friends or doesn't want to hang out on prime hangout times, like, there's something else going on regardless. Uh, but that is a great point that I'm sure the dynamics change and shift depending on, you know, sexuality. So what's a good book that you've received as a gift? Um, you know, my friend Kalmadi wrote a beautiful um, memoir. She's Indian, she, but she's also grew up a lot of uh, much of the, her life in Canada. Mm-hmm. And she wrote one called Shared Tables, Family Stories and Recipes from Pune to L.A. Mm. And she is just such a beautiful writer. It's, you know, I wouldn't call it a dark memoir like okay. you and I were talking mm-hmm. about. Like there's not a lot of conflict in it, but okay. it's just like beautiful language, beautiful food. Um, it helped me understand her a little better. It's such a reverent um love letter to her family and how important that is to her and how Mm. important food is to so and I also feel like there's very it's very universal too because for so many families food is critical like it's a critical part of a family's culture right you know not just like like wherever you're from culture but like that family's culture right. like my yes. cousin Jeannie's grits with cheese mm-hmm. at Thanksgiving <laughs> <laughs> like, is like a very important part of our family's right. culture you know so, so interesting as a, someone who's written a memoir you just made me think of this do you feel I guess your book is out in the world now a little bit and will be more so out in the world I guess starting on February 1st but do you feel like when you talk to people now who you know have read your book that they like see you in a different way or like do you feel a different sense of vulnerability because they've read more intimate details of your life? I feel like people I know know a lot of this stuff but people have actually called me and said I had no idea mm. about, you know, right. your parents or I had no idea about, right. you know, certain aspects. So, and I don't, it's not so much, um, 
people who I know, I like that doesn't bother me. Yeah, more I, strangers. Yeah, but it's like strange. It's like it's a little unnerving that strangers know. Right. And then um, the bad reviews on Amazon, mm. like basically, it's not that they just hate the book; they hate me and every sure. life choice that I've ever made. Sure. And they think I shouldn't be a mother, and they, you know, like all right. this like like crazy out there. And that doesn't actually bother me because that's like going up to someone like in the supermarket and saying, like, "What do you think of my book?" Right. You know, like right. you just exactly. wouldn't do that. So. Right. And I mean, we talk a lot about reviews on this show because I think it's a really important part of reading. And I feel an obligation as someone who does review books that there's like to write a good review. It has to it in not only does it incorporate the book, but it says so much about the person reviewing the book. Like every review I ever write is basically all about me. Right. I, it's my <laughs> opinion of what you've said. It's my experience and how that's affected what you've said. It's my understanding of something. You know, I'll, I'll read a book and I'll know zero things about the subject before I read it. And then I'll be like, oh, now I have all these new ideas and thoughts that I'm grappling with. So I feel like that's true for a good and a bad review. Right. That it's like, this is so much more about that person and what they have to say and how your book resonated with them than it is, no offense, about your book. <laughs> right, right. right. Like, I mean, and I get it. Like, my book is really, un it's uncomfortable yeah, for some people. It's yeah. uncomfortable because, like, I like I feel like I have to put the cringeworthy yeah. moments There's in there. There's definitely cringeworthy and then, stuff. And also, like, every chance I every chance I got, I made myself the asshole. Like, yeah. in any conflict with anybody, like, I really felt like it was important to like what was my to understand what my part right. in that was right. and to take the fall for it there's you know, definitely just, one section I'm thinking of which I won't give too much away but it involves a chat room oh. <laughs> and that part I was yeah. like whew but you handle I mean you in the book you handle you handle it well but in the moment I was like oh, oh I'm so glad I wasn't in that chat room <laughs> it was awful I mean it was, her it was horrible and it was right. awful and it was embarrassing but I right. also feel like but you say that yeah like hey people who are adopting don't do this yeah <laughs> warning know? sign yeah yeah no reviews are tough especially at places like Amazon or like Yelp like oh scary <laughs> my real estate agent gave me like three stars and I'm like dude what do you like you're, what? you're like well I'm not buying a house from you again yeah pal. no that's it yeah, yeah. I, there, <laughs> do you know how many of you there are yeah. are you someone who sets reading goals for yourself or has like things that you wish were different about your reading and how you read I definitely wish I had more time mm. I wish I could read during the day mm. um but I work and I'm a single mom mm. so that's real like just not reading for pleasure is not yeah it's just not right. possible um and then I I've been going to bed really early mm. I basically have been like exhausted and I'm falling asleep with grace sometimes <laughs> and so I just wish I had, I more, just time. Wish I had more time yeah. yeah are there um besides memoir are there other genres that you really love or genres that you're just like not into I love novels mm -hmm. I love books about food mm. um Let's see. Um, I just like, I would like to like sci-fi more. Okay. But you don't really. I just, yeah, I just haven't. You know, I just feel like there's so many other things in front of it. Right. Um, what else? And also like Monday morning political quarterbacking. Mm. Like, You're not into that. I just feel like. I don't like recent ugh. politic books. Like I don't, like I'm not into like Jim Comey's book. Like I don't like. If it is happening and you're writing about it, I'm not that into it. But I do like political current like criticism, which is yes, like, you know, like things that are talking about this exact moment. 
you have to read them in the moment. Like I went back and read Rebecca Solnit's book, um, Men Explain Things to Me this year. And I was like, this book is so dated. Like this is, we don't, this isn't how we talk about feminism anymore. Like, and it was such a weird feeling because I know people love that book, but I just read it five years too late. So I feel like those books you have to read right in the moment, but I don't like the like memoir, you know, or like I wasn't interested in fear. It was like too right, soon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No political books. Like, like honestly, like I don't, I don't give a shit about like Donald Trump's no. books, you no. know, like he, he wrote one. I remember it was like on the sale table at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> it's called Crippled America. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> and like, I just like, no, like those, like those are just not that interesting to me. Yeah. And I think for the very reason you're just saying, like they become they don't all stand up. Right. Yeah. There's some that are really good in the moment, but most of them just, they feel like in six months, you're like, this is a waste of my time. Uh, do you have favorite authors? Oh my gosh, I do. <laughs> and I wrote them down so I don't, let's see. So you see. don't forget um, anybody. Let's see. What, oh yeah. Um, so Isabel Allende mm. is always, always on my list. Anna Quinlan, Barbara Kingsolver, Maya Angelou. Um, someone that's influenced me quite a bit is, uh, well, she used to go by Barbara Stanny. Now mm -hmm. her name's Barbara Hewson, but she writes a lot about women and money. Ooh. And she is just like, she's like really empowering to, you know, for women to go make your money, think big, aim high. Um, and I've read all of her books and I really, I just feel like she's like such an important voice in the, in feminism and money and business and spirituality as well, because a lot of, a lot of money making is inside game right right that's so true do you read well you do ebook you do audiobooks sometimes yeah and you read hard books do you ever do like kindle you know I have a kindle and you don't and I do a little bit like if I have to read something soon like right away like I wrote I downloaded this book called the hormone replacement okay. diet okay. <laughs> it's basically like I felt like my metas metabolism oh, okay. had stopped and I was like, I, I I can't wait anymore. I need to read this right <laughs> I need away. To know. You know, and so I I downloaded that and read that. Um, but I like I can't really work. Like I don't know how it works. I don't even have one. <laughs> I'm terrified of it. We're going on a three week vacation, and I'm gonna borrow my best girlfriend. I was gonna say you could borrow mine yeah, if you want. But yeah. she's like, I don't know how it works either. I'm like, well, <laughs> this isn't gonna help. How do you like to read like physically? Where do you like to be? Like, what's your ideal reading setup? Um, so my child is asleep. Yes, or right. at a sleepover. <laughs> away <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um I have probably been like well fed mm -hmm. taken a bath mm. clean sheets Great. and in bed so you're at a hotel basically is what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> so your kid's somewhere and you're yeah. on vacation sounds great I, that's I love I like to read in the bath I do too I, love that. I do too but I only read like Oprah in the bath mm. because because I like I don't want to ruin my book oh I read yeah. all you can ever know in the bath I spent oh, a good chunk of that in the bath, like nice. crying and reading <laughs> or like, you know, that feeling where you want to cry, but you're not like the tears aren't coming, but you're feeling like this is, I'm, I'm heavy. Like that's how I felt in the bath okay. reading. I'm looking at you right now and my mouth is hanging open <laughs> because I had that very conversation about that feeling last night with oh Grace. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. Yeah. She was yeah. talking about how she felt invisible to her friends Ooh. and and I was like, said the exact same thing do you feel and she would like look like she wanted to cry and she couldn't and right, it just like wasn't yeah coming. and and I was like you know sometimes we feel like we have to cry but we can't actually make the tears come out That's like so it's, true. So, it's amazing that you just said that amazing well speaking of crying what's the last book that made you cry 
Um, what is the last book that I, does it sound like ridiculous and horrible if I say my own? No. Yeah. When I was reading it, there were parts of it that made me cry. Wow. I love that. And I think that's not ridiculous at all. What about the last book that made you laugh? Instant Mom. Okay. Nia Vardalos. Am I saying Vardalos? She's the one from, um, Big Fat Greek Wedding. Big Fat Greek Wedding. She wrote an amazing book about becoming, that's also a favorite adoption book, by the way. It's about um, becoming a mom through adoption and it like it's, it was challenging because she had a three-year-old child instead of a newborn so mm. sometimes when you adopt an older child there are some you know attachment issues and behavioral challenges and sure. um, but she is so funny I mean <laughs> she's just a funny person and there were just so many times in that book where I just bust out laughing I and I that. and it was published a while ago but I just read it in the last couple months but it was it's hilarious mm. it's just really funny that's awesome what yeah. about a book that made you angry oh the glass castle mm. and I know that you still have to read that one but it was I got so angry because um just like how badly people parent and mm. and there's all it's also coupled with love but like really like are you trying to kill your children? Right. You know, like just the anger of like people um, slipping through the cracks. This like is that. why we need those courses for people who are having children who are not adopting. Oh, I we, know. Wouldn't that be so nice if there was, I mean, obviously we're not getting any new government services, but if there was <laughs> like a government service that helped people to become a parent. Well, you know, like in, in Scandinavian countries, they not only like give you a lot of time off like a whole for, for year. A year for parental leave they bring you a box with like here's all the things you could have for your baby and then they like send people over and help you right. understand how to parent right. and you know like it's not that hard a thing to do it's right. it's like really probably the most humane way right. to bring a child right. into the world I mean you know? yes because there's so much anxiety around being a parent and if you were not parented well you know, you, you behave what you know. And I think a lot of people always talk about like, oh, I'm becoming my mother, like I'm becoming my father. And that's because that's how you were parented. So the idea that we wouldn't have people who are teaching us, you know, you have to take a test to drive, you have to take a, you know, it's like nobody has to take a test to get married or have kids. And it might be smart if you did exactly <laughs> like to make sure that you were doing it right. But, you know, and, res- and respecting people's reproductive freedom, you right. know, like there's that part right. of it, too. of course, you know, of course. And, and so, yeah, no, it's just like people it's like people are just shitty parents. You know? That's right. I mean, people are just shitty people, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, there's like shitty people. out yeah. there. Yeah. And it would be really great if we had someone who was like, you know what, maybe you should hold off on parenting. But of course, then that gets into who can have kids and who can't. And like, you know, that's a whole other story. But it would be nice if that was an option. I would love a box if I got pregnant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, here's how a diaper works. Like, <laughs> this is what you do now. You have a creature in your house. Not going to happen. Are there any books that you've read that you're embarrassed about having read or and slash or any books that you've never read that you're embarrassed about never having read? You know, I don't I don't really associate embarrassment mm-hmm. with with that. I mean, there's things like, oh, God, what's the one where they turn into vampires and then there's the Twilight? Twilight. Yeah, you know, that's but a common answer. Yeah, I mean, I can't <laughs> say I'm embarrassed. Right. By that because I feel like you should read everything. Right. I mean, you should read like cereal boxes and comic books sure. and the, you know, bill from your utility, f- right. you know, that tells you how to save energy. And, yeah. you know, I just feel like you should just read everything. Just read. I don't think you should be embarrassed. Yeah. What about anything that you're like, I can't believe I've never read this? Oh, there's like, honestly, that list that is would, so long. That would, <laughs> that's like such a hugely long list. I mean, I started to 
to try to f- tackle those. And so I read like Clockwork Orange because mm. I hadn't read Clockwork, read or Clockwork Orange. And, um, you know, so there's there are some books like that that I felt like mm-hmm. I had to tackle. But like for who? Right. You know, right. Well, I don't well, know. Love in the time of cholera. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Well, you've tried at least. Yeah, I tried. It's true that there's this weird like obligation feeling around certain books that you like should have should have read like I know people are always shocked I've never read Beloved and that's a book that people are like you should have read that and I'm like yeah I just haven't sorry like, what's Beloved by Toni Morrison <laughs> I've never read it oh yeah it's like her it's like her most famous it became a, Oprah made it into a movie but it's a Toni Morrison classic so yeah that's never- a book not, I can't believe you've never heard of that. I'm never, shocked. I'm sure I've, I know I've heard of <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure I'm you have. Like, it was a movie, it. like a made-for-TV movie that Oprah was a part of. I think Oprah was in it, maybe. Anyways, do you have any favorite books from childhood? Or I'll open it up. A favorite book that you read or read to Grace besides Corduroy? I cannot wait till she has the attention span for Harriet the Spy. Mm. I love that book so much. I mean, I must have gone through that a million times. Mm. I went through a diary of Anne Frank a million mm. times, even to the point where I think I might be reincarnated from the Holocaust. <laughs> Whoa. I know. I know. It's crazy. But I, I once told that to my friend and then she like turned me on to this like whole group of people that also feel like that. Wow. So I mean, there's no way to prove that right, really. Sure. But I just, yeah. So, but. um, Did you ever read Many Lives, Many Masters? No. The book about reincarnation? No. Oh, just made me think of that. Um, write that down too. Yeah. Many Lives, Many okay. Masters. I when I was a kid I really liked Number the Stars. Did you ever read that? It's a book, another book about the Holocaust. It's fiction. I think I read it maybe in like fifth or sixth grade, but it was kind of like the fictionalized Anne Frank companion piece. Anyways, yeah. if that's something you're into, maybe Number of the Stars. Number okay. of the Stars. Okay. Yeah, we we love that book. It just dawned on me I hadn't thought about it. What about a book that you love? where you didn't feel like you saw yourself reflected back? Because I often feel like people have a – where people feel like they can't read something because they don't relate to it. And I feel like there's so many books that I've loved that have nothing to do with me. So I'm always curious if people have that same experience. Um, I, I mean, there's so many books by, like, like older white men mm-hmm. that I don't right. really resonate with. Like um, – um, well, one of them is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Like, I love that book mm-hmm. so much because it's, you were like, like, so crazy. Yeah. But, yeah. like, would I ever do a ton of drugs no. and, like, go on that kind of road trip? Nope. Probably, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but, like, I can't even, like, have a glass of wine and drive. So, I don't know. Right. What about a, someone to write your life story? I mean, you kind of did it. Anna Quinlan. Mm. I just, I just, I feel like, you know, but also she's somebody that I grew up reading her mm-hmm. on the subway and, you know, mm. in the n- newspaper and... Um, and then, you know, like she also is so good at novels, but she's so good at memoirs and she's so easy. And I just, I really, I just admire her so mm. much. What about something that you've read that you want to see turned into a TV show or movie? There's a couple of them. So the book that I mentioned before, Mayfly, mm-hmm. I think would be such an that amazing. That sounds like a total movie when yeah. you explained it. No, yeah. You'd be like, they, and they like don't, they don't pronounce all the words right. Like mm-hmm. Hollywood is like Hollywood mm-hmm. and like they, there's like they go by Disneyland and but they can't they don't know that that's Disney like that right. was a park like they just right. like so such so good, and then um, Jen Brody wrote a, a trilogy called the Thirteen Continuums, mm-hmm. um, which is fascinating and it's about like what happens sort of after everything goes south on Earth and then you know like they're like these people they like live in this these 
submarines and i'm not explaining it well at all it's okay <laughs> at all but it's but it's like really cin- it's like such cinematic. a cinematic book yeah so, yeah i love that okay well i have my last question for you which is always my favorite and i stole it from the new york times if you could require the current president of the united states to read one book what would it be beloved mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, basically my answer my answer is anything by a woman of color yeah because it's so far from his worldview yeah and to understand sexism systemic racism like all of the thing you know to just like justice um yeah anything by a woman of color basically yeah yeah I except love that Omarosa answer. maybe yeah not yeah. her not necessary yeah, not, not there's necessary. a few women of color maybe yeah. we pass up but yeah no that's so true you know like Maya Angelou sure. Toni Morrison Oprah you know like right. anybody anybody, anybody? yeah, yeah. totally I, I mean I, I don't disagree with that All right, Vanessa, thank you so much. So next week, we're going to be back. We're going to be talking about All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung, which is her memoir about her experience being adopted. And that will be next Wednesday. And yeah, thank you so much for being here. You're so delightful. Thank you, Tracy. I loved it. (laughs) Thank you. And we'll see you guys in the stacks. Okay, that does it for us today on The Stacks. I want to say thank you so much to author Vanessa McGrady. I'd also like to say thank you to Lucy Seelag at Little A and Nicole Dewey at Shreve Williams for sending me a copy of Rock Needs River. You can get your own copy of Rock Needs River wherever you get your books. For more from The Stacks, follow us on our social media, at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to the show, like perks and our virtual book club, go to patreon.com slash The Stacks and join the fun. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the podcast. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagirages. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. I will see you in the stacks.